How many of you want to get into 1 Peter 5? You love the Word of God? You know, the Word of God will make you strong. Seven days without the Word makes one week. Some of you will get that tomorrow morning driving to work. We got to have the Word. A lot of Christians walking around anemic because they don't know the Word. But we're going to teach it tonight. Rules for shepherds, rules for sheep. Living for God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for the powerful word, your word, the inspired word. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. Will you breathe a prayer right now and say, Lord, I open my spirit to you. Speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor this has to do with you tonight. At least the second half. Found out today, you know, we're on 33 radio stations in the Midwest, and Indiana has fallen in love with us. Indiana loves our show. And uh, I think because we're on in 14 stations in in Indiana alone. But then we got um, word today that we're on including the translator stations in nine others. I thought it was seven others, but we're in nine others. So we're on 42 radio stations. And, and they haven't flipped the switch on Vegas yet. When they flip the switch on Vegas, we'll be on in two more, and that's imminent. That'll be 44. Now, I want to be on three to 400 radio stations all over the country, and we're going to believe God for that. But now, pray about that. Because what they want is they want what we're about to get tonight. They want the Word of God. That's what we're hearing all the time. Thank you for teaching the Word of God. That's what they want. Amen. So let's look at uh, 1 Peter. He's he's first going to address the elders, and then he's going to address the flock. Now let's uh, look at this, 1 Peter 5. We're going to be dealing with the first seven verses tonight. Next week, or next time, we're going to be on the subject, Dealing with the Devil. And that's what he goes into after verse 7. So next time, dealing with the devil. But tonight, rules for shepherds, rules for sheep. Now the elders, Peter writes, who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now I'll say with the uh, next three words with me. Feed the flock. That's what people are wanting right there. Feed the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, everybody say, when the chief shepherd appears. Now, look at your neighbor and say, he will appear. He is going to appear. When, not if, when the chief shepherd appears, you, the shepherds or the elders, will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now he goes into, a little bit later, submitting to God, resisting the devil. Let's look at verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to each other and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't want God resisting me. What about you? He resists the proud, 
He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time or in His time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Notice He didn't say some of your cares. How many of your cares? All your cares upon Him. Anybody got any cares tonight? There's a few, the rest of you don't have any cares at all. Either you got them or they're on the Lord. Now why should I give him all my cares? Because, what does it say at the end? He for you. Now, Peter first tackles the spiritual maturity of, spir of church leadership. Let's see what he says about it. The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of the glory that will be revealed. What does elder mean? Elders comes from the Greek word presbyteros, and I transliterated it there in parentheses, so if, if you've got the notes, you can see them, and not that you need to know a Greek word. I know what you're thinking. That's all Greek to me. But there it is, and where, where do you think we get presbyteros? What, what do you think are a couple of words? Church words. Presbyterian, all right, presbyteros. It's, it means elder, which here is referring to a man's official capacity in the church. Now, early on, the church had its elders, right at the beginning. Look at Acts eleven twenty nine 29 to 30. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, what they sent relief. And they sent it to who? The elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So immediately, Paul, the wise architect of the church, the way God used him, began to establish elders, and but it went way before the New Testament. But here comes Paul, and I'll show you that in a minute, but here comes Paul establishing elders. And it says they would go and they would build a church, and once elders, you know, the cream rises to the crop or to the top, and you you look for eldership material. And but once the eldership is there, you appoint it. This was God's way. Way back in the beginning, the recognition of elders came originally from the nation of Israel. The early fathers of the Hebrew people are called elders. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, look what it says about people of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what you don't see yet. For by it, who obtained? The elders. Who's he talking about? Old Testament men. By it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, Old Testament elders obtained a good testimony. In the New Testament, members of the Sanhedrin were chief priests, scribes, or elders. Matthew 16, 21. Now here's another word for elders. It's episkopos. And I've got that transliterated. Episkopos. It's also used to describe the office of elders in the local church. What comes to your mind when I say Episcopos? Episcopalian. So when you look at these church names, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, they came from these Greek words. Okay, so here's Episcopos. Now let me just split that word up because I find words fascinating. Look at this one. The beginning of the word Episcopos is E-P-I, Epi, and it's the Greek word for on or to make contact. Skopos means to look intently at something. 
like at the tape at the finish line of a race. My eyes are peeled on that thing. So when you take the word epi and scopos, you've got somebody whose eye is on you. Scopos, telescope, microscope, all of those come from this word. So what in the world then does an elder mean? It describes the function of a man called by God to literally keep an eye on his flock, the church, the body of Christ, to provide personalized first-hand care and protection. You may not know it, but I got my eye on you. I don't mean that in a bad way. Some of you went, oh my Lord. <laughs> See, some of you, you'll, you'll quit coming for a while and you think I don't notice. If I don't, somebody in leadership does. See, my calling and the calling of the elders of our church is to keep a tight eye on you. Make sure you're healthy. Make sure false teachers aren't getting to you. Make sure you're not slipping into sin. Make sure you're not walking around drifting from God. And it's in a good way. It's not in a judgmental way or a harsh way. But that's what a real pastor does. His eye is on the flock. And he's praying for you. Elders are praying for you. That's the call. Episcopos, a close eye on. So the elder is an overseer. It's to see, oversee you, a shepherd. It's assumed that he has a spiritual experience. The Bible says he's not a novice. He's not green in relation to spiritual things. Elders were not chosen lightly in the New Testament. You can read about it. Paul warned Timothy, you better not be hasty in laying on of hands to appoint church leaders and don't share in the sins of others. Because if you lay hands on somebody suddenly to be a leader and they weren't ready and they go off into sin or really mess up and hurt a lot of the sheep, then part of the blood's on your hand. Uh at one time when I was starting a church, I had a, a, a person who was helping me, and they were just on me all the time. You need to appoint elders. And I'd look around me, and i said, I don't have any yet. Well, just appoint, you need to have some elders. Well, I don't have any yet. I'm waiting for them. See, you've got to be wise, because once someone is appointed an elder, they immediately have authority with that flock. So they've got to be clean. They've got to be right. They got to be sound and they got to have some experience. Or the one that laid hands on him is a fool. He said, Lay hands suddenly on no man. That's talking about appointing elders. Don't lay hands suddenly on any man. You sit back and you watch people and you wait to see how they handle people, how their walk is, how their family is, how their consistency is in getting with God, what is their wisdom level. How long have they walked with God? Have they walked with God through the fire and stayed true and come out on the other side? That's what you watch for. Until then, you don't want anybody called an elder. Are y'all with me? Elders are answerable to the Holy Spirit, and just saying that puts the fear of God in me. Elders are answerable to the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves, Paul says to the elders, and all the flock of which who? The Holy Spirit has made you what? Overseers. Episcopos is the word used right there. Those who are watching the flock intently. He said, 
Who, who appointed them? Did they appoint themselves? Were they appointed because they had money? In other words, did they purchase the position? Well, they do in some churches. You know, churches appoint leaders for many different reasons, and there's only one reason you ever appoint a leader. The Holy Ghost appoints them. Are you all with me? That's the only time you ever do it. When the Holy Ghost says, there's an elder, then that's when you appoint them. But you don't do it because they got money and they can give a lot to the church because then you got somebody with money owning the church. But no, the Holy Ghost appoints leadership. The, the Holy Ghost is who anoints people for different positions. It's His sovereign choice. It's no man's choice. I'm going to tell you, I didn't pick me to pastor a church. No way. God laid His hand on me. And of all the people least likely to ever do what I do, it would, especially if you'd have known me in my teenage years, you would have said, never Him. If you'd have had 100 people, I would have been number 99. But when I got saved and I had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit and I began to worship God, when I was 18 years old, he began to move on me to preach. It was totally contrary to my personality. I was reclusive. I was more of a kind of a loner type. I, I was not a real social type. And I was as, had a, as much stage fright as anybody in this place has ever experienced. God laid his hand on me. And so now this summer, I've been preaching 40 years. 40 years. Um, but it was very sovereign. I, as a matter of fact, I fought it. I fought it with everything in me. But God, when he lays his hand on you, that's it. Now be shepherds of the church of God, Peter says, which he bought with what? You've been bought with the blood. That was God's ransom price. You were bought with blood. And so he's telling these elders, uh, you now shepherd them, oversee them, and feed them. Now, Peter describes himself, interestingly to me, as a fellow elder. But think about who's saying this. It's very telling of the humility with which Peter viewed himself. No wonder he can tell us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because he had learned to do it. Think about it for a minute. He was an apostle, one of the twelve, and not only one of the twelve, but one of the inner three. Peter, James, John. Holding the very highest position in the church. One exclusive to a small circle of the Lord's intimate followers. According to Scripture, Peter is destined in the future millennial reign of Christ to sit upon a throne as one of the judges of the, nations of Israel, of the nation of Israel. When Israel rules the world under Christ. That's why the listen, listen, that's why Israel is so persecuted in our day. Because the devil hates Israel. Satan hates Israel. Because Jesus is going to rule the world from Israel during the millennium. So Israel is marked by God and set aside for God. But now look, Peter. What does the scripture say? Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, talking to his apostles, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, he's pointing to the twelve, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Fishermen. Doesn't that bless you? Jesus didn't go searching for the top CEOs in Israel. He went and called simple, 
sun-baked, uneducated, crusty fishermen. And one day, they're going to sit on the twelfth, one of the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Look what God can do with you. I said, look what God can do with you. See, it's not what you think of you, it's what God thinks of you. The book of Revelation reveals that his name, that is Peter's name, is engraved on one of the twelve foundation stones of the celestial city. Did you know that? Revelation 21, 14 says, The wall of the city, the new Jerusalem, had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Peter's one of them. Peter had witnessed the sufferings of Christ firsthand. Peter was standing there when Jesus came out of the Garden of Gethsemane, his face soaked in blood, having sweated, as it were, great drops of blood in his anguish over what he was headed towards on the cross. Peter saw it. He was right there. He knew all about Jesus' treatment at the hands of Caiaphas. He saw firsthand the horrors of crucifixion. Peter was there when Jesus took him to the Mount of Transfiguration and lifted his hands, and suddenly his garment glowed bright white like the sun, and next to him stood Moses on the one side and Elijah on the other. The law represented in Moses, the prophets represented in Elijah. Peter was so befuddled when he didn't know what to say he said that was peter (laughs) should we build a house for these guys and god said just be quiet and listen to him (laughs) now peter had been there and i just went over that when jesus was transfigured before him on the mount and yet simon peter simply calls himself a fellow elder in the church How many of you know, if anybody could have strutted, it would have been Simon Peter. But you know why he didn't strut? Because all the strut got knocked out of him when he denied Christ three times. The guy who said, not me, oh no, everybody else will forsake you, but not me. And he fell flat on his face and came face to face with his own mortality and weakness and humanity. And he came back from that saying, I got no more strut left in me, but by the grace of God go I. He had once boasted, and I already went over that. See, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I know this so well. But now in the aftermath of his humiliating and painful denial of Jesus, Peter is humbled. So much for Rome's claim that Peter was the first pope, uh uh-uh, or some kind of sovereign pontiff, That's all made up. So now as a fellow elder, he exhorts his brethren, feed the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, no doubt, this command harkened back to the Lord's last commission to Peter personally. You remember that? After he had denied the Lord, Jesus called him in off the lake because he had gone back, tried to go back to his old life. He said, I'm going fishing. Like so many people have done in our day, maybe you've done it. But he said, you know what, enough of this church stuff. I'm going back to where I used to be. He went back, tried fishing again, and didn't catch one thing. And if you ever backslide, you won't catch one thing. There ain't anything back there. The Red Sea is closed back up again, and you can't go back, even though you try. 
But now, sitting by the crackling fire, here comes Peter and Jesus is cooking him some fish. So Jesus was not a vegetarian. That's free. I just want to tell you that. <laughs> Jesus ate meat. Amen. Now, Jesus had looked at him, and you remember the drama. It's very, very dramatic. He looks at Peter and he says three times, feed my sheep. But let me show you something. The first time that Jesus used a word for feed, he used the word that meant provide pasture for my lambs. That's what the Greek word feed meant when Jesus used it the first time. Provide pasture, Peter, for my lambs. The second time Jesus used another word for feed that meant shepherd my sheep. It can be translated, rule my sheep. And a third time, Jesus challenged Peter with a combination of the two previous challenges. And he said, basically, feed, provide pasture for my sheep. Provide pasture for and feed my sheep. So a pastor's call is to make sure the grass is green in that church. People say, what are you giving away at the door? I say, nothing. We're just growing grass. Not that kind. <laughs> We're just growing grass. We're feeding. Because if you'll feed them, they will come. Doesn't matter where you are. You can be under a bridge. If you're feeding them, they'll come. Now, the Lord began with Peter to make him a fisher of men, but now he makes him a shepherd. At first he said, follow me and I'm going to make you catch men, like you've been fishing. But now, Peter, I'm calling you to be a shepherd, to feed my sheep. So Peter echoes Christ's command to the church elders. Feed, he says to the elders, as Jesus had told him. Now he tells them, feed the flock of God. Provide pasture for them. The elders' motivation is dealt with next. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now he gives two negatives and two positives. The elders should never, first of all, serve out of being forced to. Never. This means, the word compulsion or constraint in the King James Version means to be forced to do something unwillingly. To do something because one thinks there's no way out. You should never have somebody in an eldership or leadership position, in a pastoral position, who doesn't really want to be there? <laughs> Come on, get up there. you got a real gift. Get on up there and teach. Listen, if somebody tells us they don't want to minister, we happily oblige them. Here's what I've learned. When God lays his hand on you to do something, you get a divine want to do. Yeah, you get a divine want to do. When God lays his hand to do something, uh, when, he, when he touches you to do something, he, he gifts you, he anoints you, Along with that appointing and that anointing is a desire that is holy to do that very thing. I never had a voice say to me, preach the word, Jeff. Never heard it. You know how God did me? I got such a burning, such a longing, such a yearning, such a desire to share the word of God. I could not help it. You get a divine case of the can't help it's when God calls you. I can tell you, he touched me with a desire to do it back then. 
and it's never lifted. You can ask my wife. She's known me all these years. It's never lifted. It is there. And I knew I was called by that very thing, desire, the passion, the longing, the, the prompting, the yearning to do it. Now, of course, it, you know, it ebbs a little bit, and, and sometimes you feel tired and whatnot, but the consistency has always been there. But if you give me a man or a woman and they say, you know, I really don't want to do that. I have no desire to do this. That's one of my key signs. They're not called to do it. Called to sing, God's going to give you a burning desire to sing. Whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, it's not hard to discover. Look at what your divine want-to-do is. Real quiet in here, huh? a good place to say amen or oh me that's not the only sign but it's sure one of them on the contrary it should be done out of a willing heart peter says god wants volunteers not forced men if a man can do anything else that's what i tell people somebody comes to me and says i'm called to preach i say can you do anything else oh yeah there's a five or ten things i could do then go do it because you know you're called to preach when you can't do anything else The true shepherd is one who investigates all the facts of shepherding. Watch this. Those of you that are thinking about it, the long hours, the bearing of other people's burdens, the heartaches and the tears, the joys and the rewards, and then you cheerfully plunge in anyway. The the elder, the pastor, is there for the extremes of life. We're there when you're married. We're there when you're buried. We're there when you're sick. We're there when you're shattered. We're there when you're weeping. We're there when you're laughing. It's the extremes. And he's there through us. Once you see all of that and you want to plunge in anyway, good sign. God wants volunteers, not forced labor. The truly called man can do no other. God will place within him the heart of a shepherd, and it is undeniable, inescapable, and the gifts of callings of God are without repentance. You will not be able to shake it. And woe unto you if you go do something else if God's called you. You will live in a wilderness and in a place of frustration and dryness until you get back to the call of God. And I'm talking to somebody on radio right now. I sense it. You've walked away from your call, walked away from your anointing. God loves you. You're in a dry place because you're not in your grace. Get back to what God's anointed you to do. And an elder should never be motivated by money. Now, this is touchy, isn't it? This is not to say that a shepherd should not be paid. Paul was clear about this when he wrote to Timothy, quote, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. It's amazing to me how people think if you preach and teach, you don't work. Then you have never studied. Because I guarantee you, a true preacher and teacher works and labors over that word as much as any blue-collar worker who's out there building a house or digging a ditch. Now, the Scripture says 
You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who deserve, or those who work, deserve their pay. And in another place, he says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But that's for another time and another place. But here's what he's saying now. Peter is saying a big salary or pressing financial needs should never be the motivation of a true elder. It shouldn't be why you're doing it. This motivation is what produces hirelings that don't give a hoot for the people. They're hirelings. They view ministry as a way to make money, not as a ministry to God's sheep. They're there to make the money because they see you can make money at it. And haven't we seen that in America? Everywhere. Big bucks. Paul identified some men as those, quote, watch this, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit, a money-making business, a means of livelihood. They see that if you get in there and talk right and you can be slick and smooth, you can make a whole lot of money, and that's their motivation. They'll answer to God. They will. There's only one thing that should ever let you or cause you or move you to touch ministry, and that's the Holy Ghost laying His hand on you. That's it. And Paul says about those that are in it to make money, he says, from that kind of person, withdraw yourself. Get out of there. 1 Timothy 6.5. Now Peter next deals with the spiritual manner of shepherding. The spiritual manner. Now this is real important. He says, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The word Lord, being lords of those who are watching over, that you're watching over, the word Lord there is the word for exercising dominion over another. So that's not, that's not what you're called to do. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. They lord it over them. They, they use their authority to beat you down, to control you, to subdue you, just because they can. But Jesus said it shall not be so among you. It'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And watch this. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Well, that thinned the ranks out real quick of aspiring leaders in the kingdom of God. Because it's not about lording it over. It's about serving. It's about serving. Church leadership is to lead instead by example. A model for imitation. Paul said, keep putting into practice all you learn. This really used to blow me away that he could even say this. He said, you keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Notice, those that Paul raised up not only heard good teaching, but they saw him living it. They heard, they saw. They heard, they saw. He said, if you will do that, the God of peace will be with you. How many of us could say to somebody, watch me and follow me, and the peace of God will be with you? Oh, ho, ho, ho. Strong stuff. But that's leadership in the body of Christ. The promise to faithful shepherds is when the chief shepherd appears, you're going to receive a crown of glory, does not fade away. So leadership in the church is servant leadership. It is leadership by example. 
that the sheep ought to be able to imitate. Not that they're perfect, but they're following Christ. And as leadership follows Christ, you can follow the leadership. But listen to me, church. If that leadership ever quits following Christ, you quit following that leadership. Very important. Now, rules for sheep. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Boy, that would go over big on uh, MTV, wouldn't it? The word for elders here can refer to age, as in older, or it can refer to one holding the office of elder or teacher. Either way, God calls the younger people, either in chronological age or younger in the faith, to submit to them as gifts to the church. Now, the word submit, boy, that word has been ruined in our day. Let me show you what it means. It comes from the Greek word hupotasso, hupotasso. Now, I'm going to split that one up. I want to show you what it means. The first part of it comes from the word hypo, meaning under. So you got hypodermic, it means something that goes under your skin. So hypo means under, and tasso means to arrange. So what does it mean? It means literally under God's arrangement. Eldership is God's arrangement. You know, you get a new house, you go in there, and, and, and the wife will say, here's the way this room's going to look. The couch is going to be over there. The chair's going to be over there. The throw rug's going to be right there. The coffee table's going to be right there. This painting's going there, and this painting's going there. And what is she doing? She's saying, here's my arrangement for the house. And here's what God is saying. The appointing of elders who lead by example and servanthood is my arrangement for my house. It's the way I want it arranged. Submitting to the leadership of elders is literally to participate in God's arrangement for the church. This does not mean, now listen carefully, I'm going to balance this out. This does not mean that somebody is called to submit unquestioningly. Matter of fact, did you know that a good leader is open to questions? Hello? A good leader is not in an ivory tower somewhere and you can't get to them. The leadership in a church should not be in a place where you can't get to them and ask questions. I'll tell you, it's quiet in here tonight. The wheels are turning. I can hear them. See, no, no, no. God's wisdom can bear scrutiny anytime. Now, Paul said, pattern yourselves after me. Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ, the Messiah. So you don't have to, you ought to be able to question leadership. Now, it goes without saying, it does not mean when it says submit to elders, that you should submit to any kind of participation in sin in the name of the Lord. You know, it's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about, and it's terrible that we've, this is going on around the church. But we read from time to time about eldership or leadership in churches that we're asking the people, some of the people, to be involved in sin in the name of the Lord, serve God this way. Let me tell you something. The minute that a leadership asks you to do something against the Word of God, it's no longer your leadership. You answer the word first. And as long as that leadership is doing their best to follow Jesus, not perfectly, but sincerely, then you follow. 
But if that leadership ever starts to go off into something clearly sinful and ask you to go along, that's when you say, here's where I get off the train. And there's lots of people in this country that wish they had. All right? Peter is simply encouraging the flock of God to honor and come in under the legitimate leadership of God-appointed shepherds. It's God's arrangement. You know, I'm going to tell you, honestly, between you and me, I have one desire. Kathy can attest to this. knows me better than anybody else. It is simply to feed the flock of God, to see you grow, to see you fall in love with the Lord, to see you grow up in Him, and fulfill your purpose in Him. I don't have anything to say to you up here if it's not related to the Word of God. I'm just here to teach you, to minister to you the Word of God. I want the grass real green in this house and lush. And as long as we follow Christ, you're safe to follow along. There's people listening right now, and some by radio, they're in a situation where... uh, you got some real questions, and you ought to be able to get them answered. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. The word for clothed means to gird oneself. Humility is something we wear. We put it on and we tuck it in. We are to wear it around the house, in the marketplace, where we work, where we worship. We're to be clothed with humility. And if you are, you can submit to one another. It's not an easy garment to put on, but it's the most attractive when you're wearing it. And God says, when I see that humility, I'm, I'm going to bless you. When I see a bunch of pride, I'm going to resist you. So you put on humility. Look what he says. It's the garment Jesus wore all of his days, Philippians 2. Read this with me, would you? Though he was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That was our Lord. Now he says, if you've seen me do, as you've seen me do, you do likewise. The best place to put on the robe of humility is at the foot of the cross. When I go to the foot of the cross, there's no way I can be proud. Because I know at the foot of the cross, here's what it tells me. I have fallen short. We've all fallen short. There's none righteous, no, not one. We could not save ourselves. I could not save myself. It was my sin, your sin, our sin that hung Jesus on that tree. How can you stand in front of the cross and be proud? We're saved by grace alone and not by any of our own works. Keeping these facts in mind produce the humility we all need if you just tell the truth about yourself you can't be proud peter quotes proverbs three thirty four: for god resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble in light of the overwhelming superiority of walking in humility peter writes these words so you humble yourself under the mighty power of god and at the right time he will lift you up in honor What a powerful passage. Our place is to humble ourselves. You do it or God will do it for you, so I'd rather do it myself. (laughs) Oh, man, if he ever takes you to that woodshed, 
you, want, you learn real quick. I'd rather humble myself, Lord. Thank you. Because he can sure do it right. Our place is to humble ourselves under his mighty power. And you hear what he's saying there? You leave the timings of your life to God. You leave your desires with God, the timings of your life, the purposes of your life with God. And you humble yourself under his power. And when he is ready, he promotes in the perfect time. Then he says, closing, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Thank God he cares about you. Worries like a dark room where negatives are developed. Why worry about it when he'll take it for you? He never goes to sleep. He'll stay up at night. You can go on to sleep. I want us to read, uh, or cares is the word for anxiety. Give all your anxieties to God. What are you worried about? What are you full of fear about? What are you anxious about? He says, give it to God. You're not supposed to carry it. Give it to God. Well, I'm just so uptight, Pastor Jeff. Well, that tells me you haven't prayed. You pray about it, God will take it off of you. Our cares may be many, but God has only one care. You. You're his only care. So I want us to stand and read this uh, psalm together as we close. Any of you need this tonight? This good? Amen. This is one of my favorite psalms. Let, read it real good and loud. Let's read it as we close. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your encouragement about leadership and submission and seeing your design and what you have called for in your own house. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be a discerning and a right-hearted and a right-attitude people, to recognize your design and submit to it in wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that every care we've got is in your hands as soon as we give it to you. And you are not going to slumber and you're not going to sleep. You're watching over us for our welfare. Thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God Lift your hands to him and let's worship. God is so good.